Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read from the first verse. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. We are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's been quite a while since we started into chapter 10 for various reasons, Um, Uh, Other people have been preaching, of course. I've been away on holiday, preaching elsewhere. Um, So when we looked at verse 1 over a couple of weeks, that was quite a long time ago. But we saw there where Paul is speaking about his prayer that arises from caring. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Prayer arising from caring. And then he speaks about the Israelites that they've got zeal that doesn't arise from knowledge. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So prayer arising from caring and zeal not arising from knowledge. And hopefully if you can remember back to when we looked at that, we saw that if you really care, you will pray. And if you pray but don't care, it's a bit futile. (coughs) Equally, zeal needs to be based on knowledge, and knowledge leads to zeal. These are things that necessarily go together. Now, he said, that second thing, they're zealous, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. And he then spells out what it was that they didn't know. And what he spells out there is what we're going to be looking at together this afternoon, so that hopefully by the end of this time together, we will know it. There will be no doubt about it. So he says they're they're zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. What didn't they know? Well, it says they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. Their situation was that they were very religious, very devout. Religious, devout, Sabbath-keeping, tithing, fasting, whatever the law required, worshipping God, all of that, but unsaved. 
And for many people, that would be a bit of a puzzle. Because for many people, religion consists of that kind of thing. To, uh, to worship, to be devout, to go through the, the rituals and all the things that are required. For many people, that's what religion consists of. And sadly, there can even be Christians for whom their religion is a bit like that. Their Christianity is like that. They're, they're, they're more under the law than, than under grace. And so it is possible, sadly possible, to be a Christian and think, no, I must tithe. And then you, you examine what the Bible says about tithing and you think, is it 10% or is it 20%? Or even, as some would say, is it 23.33 recurring percent? How much are we supposed to give? And, and then what about Sabbath keeping? And what about us having the lights on here, because surely having the lights on, it means someone's got to work. And if you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and people get knotted up in all of that, and then they get into their New Testament, they say, on top of all of that, I'm supposed to be happy all the time. And, worse still, I've got to share with other people how they can be as happy as me. (laughs) And it's a burden. Well, Paul says... They're zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. There's something that they don't know. And what they don't know is they are unaware of what Paul says, righteousness that comes from God. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. Now, when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about having a right relationship with God, a right standing with God, being in a position where we are acceptable to God. God uh, is able to relate with us. God is a holy God. How can we have relationship with him? Well, by righteousness. And so what Paul is saying here is they're trying to, to build their own standing with God, to be good enough for God. They're unaware of the righteousness that comes from God because they're still under law. Now, what does that mean? Well, in verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. And what is that? Well, the man who does these things will live by them. The, the, the message of law is do these things. Do these things. Paul is referring to something back in the Old Testament. He's quoting it from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 18 And uh, verse 5, Leviticus 18 and verse 5, where the law says, Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees and laws, the man who obeys them will live by them. So Paul quotes it here, the man who does these things will live by them. Law is about doing Hence, they're zealous for God. They're doing all of that stuff. They're, uh, they're observing the Sabbath and tithing and fasting and all the things that we said because the one who does these things will live. Now, of course, if you can remember earlier back into Romans, Paul has already demonstrated that that doesn't really work. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, he makes this statement. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. 
Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law cannot make us acceptable to God. What the law does is make us profoundly aware of how far short we fall. What the law does is stir in us the desire to sin and an awareness of our sin. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Through the law we become conscious of sin. And of course he then expounds that at great length, if you remember, in chapter 7. And he, he says in verse 14 there, we know that the law is spiritual. Nothing wrong with God's law. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I do. So the law can't actually make me acceptable to God because the law can tell me how to behave. It can tell me the things I should do. It can tell me the things I shouldn't do. But what it can't do is deal with me inside. It can't deal with me. And that's what Paul brings out in chapter 7. The problem is I am unspiritual. There's sin living in me. And of course the good news, the gospel, as Paul expresses it back in chapter 1 and verse 17, he says, in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. The problem that Paul is highlighting for the Israelites is they hadn't understood righteousness from God and they are zealously trying to establish their own And the most that will do is kind of put a a facade on, a mask on, but it's masking what's inside. And before God, you can't mask what's inside. The law doesn't deal with who we are. And so if you're trying to produce righteousness, everything that we do is tainted either with guilt or with pride. On the one hand... We try hard, we know what the law requires, but there's always that bit that we've failed in. If we, if we were able to keep nine-tenths of the law, which we can't, there's always the tenth we haven't done. And so the best we can offer, we realize we're falling short of the mark. Or we can think we're doing pretty well. And the other possibility with living under law is that we're proud of our achievements. Remember how Jesus told the story of that religious man who comes into the temple and his prayer is, I thank you, God, I'm not like other people. That law can produce that as well, where we're pretty proud of the fact that we keep the Sabbath and we tithe and we're not into a mere 10%. We give 23 and a third and, you know, pride because we're keeping the law. And that is not acceptable to God. Doing does not deal with what's inside. But of course, it's a basic human instinct to want to be good enough. To want to be good enough for God. And therefore, the feeling that for any dealings with God, somehow we've got to be good enough. So I've heard people say when someone who's maybe, you know that they're a Christian and you ask them, uh, if, if they're ready to be baptized, they say, I don't really feel I'm good enough to be baptized yet. Or maybe there's a message about being baptized in the Spirit and all that God wants to do to fill you with His Spirit. 
And they go, I don't think I'm good enough to be baptized in the Spirit yet. Or, I don't think I'm good enough for God to answer my prayer. He's more likely to answer the prayer of other people, but I don't think I'm good enough. It's, it's a basic instinct to feel being good enough is what it's about. And of course, if that's the way we think, then the devil is very quick to latch on to that and to remind us, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Maybe there will be people who are here right now in this meeting who in the worship time, you're just feeling, I'm not going to, I couldn't pray out. I couldn't bring any contribution. I'm not good enough. It's a basic feeling, a basic instinct that you've got to be good enough and say the devil will play on it. But that's the wrong question. Am I good enough? The real question is, am I bad enough? Am I bad enough to need a savior? Because the only reason for Jesus coming to save is that we need saving. If you've got someone in the deep end at the swimming bath and the swimming pool and um, they're a good swimmer, you don't need to jump in and save them. It's only if they're out of their depth and bad enough that they need to be saved. And we need to realize we're out of our depth. We're out of our depth. We can't be good enough for God. We can't save ourselves. We can't achieve righteousness that is acceptable to God. We need a Savior. That's the deal. That's how we come. I'm bad enough to need a Savior. And having started like that, then I carry on like that. You see, it's possible to start like that, saying, yes, I I realize I need a Savior, I need to be forgiven. And having been forgiven, having been born again, to then somehow slip and think from now on it's about being good enough. No, it's always. Am I bad enough to need to receive from God? And of course it can be very humbling to have to admit you're bad enough to need a Savior, but unless we're prepared to admit that, then we have no Savior. We stand as we are before God. And as we are before God is frankly not acceptable. Now, Paul's heart cry, the the grief in his heart that causes him to pray is that he knows that his fellow countrymen have not understood righteousness from God and they are trying to establish their own. And that cannot work. And what they haven't realized is the statement he makes in verse 4, which is one of those massive statements, a wonderful statement. Uh, There are famous preachers who they latch onto a verse and will say, this has got to be the most important verse in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to do that kind of thing, but I will just say, this has got to be the most important verse in the Bible. (laughs) This has got to be. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. What's he saying? He's saying Christ is the end of the law in as much as Christ is who the law was pointing to. Christ is, is who the law was pointing to and Christ is the one who 
ends the whole system of relationship with God on the basis of law. Christ is the end of the law. He's the end it was pointing to. The law spoke about the need to bring sacrifices. The law spoke about the need for blood to be shed. The law spoke about the need for a priest to be separated to take that blood and put it on the mercy seat. The law spoke about a mercy seat. The law spoke about a tabernacle. It spoke about a temple. And all of that was pointing to one man. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is Jesus. He's the end of the law. He's what all of that was foreshadowing. He's the substance. They were the shadows, pointing towards the one who was to come. He's the end in that sense, but also he's the one who deals with that whole covenant of law. He has ended it. On the cross, as his blood is being shed, as he is dying in our place, his great cry, which can be understood at many different levels, but this is one level at which it can be understood, his great cry was, it is finished. What is finished? The covenant of law. It's the end of all of that. The end of doing to please God. Because doing to please God doesn't deal with me. The covenant of law was external. It didn't deal with what is inside. And Jesus is now ending it. All of that was just a shadow. Now the, gr- the wonderful reality has come. The one who dies in our place, breaking the power of sin so that we can be different. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In John chapter 6, we read of a, a question that is put to Jesus. John chapter 6 And verse 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? You see, that's the the mindset, doing. It's about doing. What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus' answer, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What must we do? Believe. Believe. Righteousness for everyone who believes. A right standing with God is for everyone who believes, not for everyone who achieves. It's not about achieving, it's about believing. Because we cannot achieve what is acceptable with God. We cannot do it. A right standing with God is simply for those who believe. And Paul goes on to say here that there is no need then for kind of superheroes. There is no need for any superhuman effort in order to get right with God. It's simply a matter of believing. Verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So it's not about massive effort like that. He is referring to, not precisely quoting, some words back in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 11. Moses 
is bringing God's word and he says this, Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. What I'm commanding you, Moses says, is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. That's what Paul is referring to here. He doesn't quote those precise words, but he refers to it. And he applies it in a slightly different way. He's saying, this righteousness from God is for people who believe. Instinctively, we can say, well, surely I've got to do something. Surely I've got to achieve something. And he says, no, The righteousness is by faith says, don't say, who will ascend into heaven? You know, we need someone from heaven. Maybe I've got to get up to heaven. Or who will descend into the deep? We've got to deal with the the depths, the, the, the place of the dead. We've got to deal with death. I've got to achieve heaven. got to deal with death. No, it doesn't say that. Because Christ has already come down. And Christ has already dealt with death. Well, I don't have to be a superhero getting up to heaven and dealing with death. Jesus has already done it. Christ has come down. Christ has come up from the dead. I don't have to do it. Jesus has done it all. And in fact, Jesus has done everything for us. He doesn't provide almost all and say, now you've got to come up with something. All I've got to come up with is to say, I am bad enough to need a saviour. I am bad enough to need salvation. And I believe in God's provision. One who came down from heaven, lived as a real man here on planet earth, lived as a real man without sin, who was cruelly killed, but not as a victim, he, he was actually the victor. He, he, he's, he's cruelly killed as my substitute. He is suffering what I deserve to suffer, but he's standing in for me. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. God has, has accepted what he did. I believe he's my savior. I simply believe. I don't have to do it. He did it. I don't have to be a superhero. He's the hero. I'm the one who's bad enough to need a hero like that. So Paul says, it's not up there and it's not down there. The answer is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, verse 8. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, this message of being saved Through faith, that's what we're proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We haven't got to achieve it. It's not out of reach. We haven't got to climb some ladder to try and work our way up to God. God has come down in the person of his son. And what do I do? Well, it's near me. It's in my mouth and in my heart. What does he mean? Well, 
with your mouth you confess Jesus is Lord. That's not just some kind of mantra. It's like a mighty declaration. It is saying that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is Lord in the sense that he has saved me. I was out of my depth. He saved me. My life belongs to him now. He's the Lord. And he's the Lord in the sense that there is no other Lord. Whatever other religion, and here Paul is speaking about those who are Jews. But whatever religion, there's only one Lord, and that is Jesus. So this declaration, Jesus, the Savior, the one who died, rose again, is alive now. He's the Lord. I confess it with my mouth. It's public. And I'm not only saying it. Something's happening inside. I believe it in my heart. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely fundamental. Why? Because it's by the resurrection that we know that what Jesus did was accepted. Had he stayed dead, he would have been just another martyr. But the fact that he he came out of the tomb and the fact that he's alive now means this was different. This was special. God has accepted that sacrifice. That means my guilt is dealt with. I'm no longer a, a slave of sin. Righteousness from God. I believe it. I confess it. Jesus is Lord. I believe it in my heart And I receive the gift of righteousness. I don't have to achieve it. I don't have to climb some kind of ladder. I don't have to work at it, aware of where I'm falling short. I believe it. Now, Paul goes on to say, this is for everyone. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth you confess and are saved. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is something for everyone, for everyone who will believe. That's the gospel. That's why Paul is so enthusiastic about it. Back in chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's not about me being good enough. It's about me being bad enough to need God to do it all. And he has done it all. I simply believe. I simply believe. Goes against instinct. Surely I've got to do something. No, I've got to believe. That's the good news. That is the gospel. When we believe it, there are two results. The first one we could say is a passive result in as much as it's something that happens inside. When I believe it, when I believe righteousness from God, then my conscience is dealt with. My conscience is at peace with God. There are so many Christians who have received salvation but live with a guilty conscience. Always feel feeling they've really got to do something to earn God's favor. Getting into all kinds of stuff. 
when, when there's any promise of God wanting to bless, they think, not me, I'm not good enough. When we, we see it's righteousness from God to everyone who believes, then my conscience is at peace. I've received the gift of righteousness. I can't achieve it. I believe it. And I receive it. That's something that happens inside and it needs to happen inside. But then there's another outcome and that's an active one. When I have received the gift of righteousness, then I've got confidence to get up, go on and serve God. I've got confidence to live by faith. I've got confidence that I am not disqualified. You see, you can only live by faith if you believe that God is likely to bless you, that God is likely to give to you. And if you've got a guilty conscience, you won't believe any of that. Now, if my conscience is at peace, I don't just stay reveling in the fact I've got a, a, a conscience at peace. I've got confidence to do. Confidence to pray for people to be healed and God is likely to answer my prayer because I've got righteousness from God. I've got the righteousness of his son put to my account. There's confidence to press on. This is the gospel. Christ is the end of the law. If the law is your personal burden, your personal enemy, if it accuses you, which is what the law does, if it exposes all the things you've done wrong and you you live under that, then get it into your spirit. Christ is the end of the law. That whole way of having relationship with God ended because it doesn't work. It never could work. It was there to point to the one who is the end of it all. And that is Jesus. The work of God is to believe in him. When I believe in him, hey, I'm not climbing the ladder. He has come down. I haven't earned anything. He's earned it all. I haven't created some kind of status for myself. He's given it. And it's mine. And I'm in it. My conscience is dealt with. Oh, God. So when the devil accuses, get away. I'm justified. I'm righteous. I'm not listening to those accusations. They might even be true, in a way. You know, what's also true is that Christ is my righteousness. That's the truth I'm believing. My conscience is at peace. And hey, I can get up and achieve things. Yes, things that come out of faith. Things that come out of believing God, out of having a a conscience of peace. This is the gospel. Christ is the end of the law. Of course, that has many different applications. There will be people who are not yet Christians, who maybe think of religion in terms of things you've got to do. And maybe they think in terms of that and think, I could never do it. I could never live at that standard. Hey, you never will. You're quite right. And you need a saviour. You need to say, I haven't got to be good enough. I've got to be bad enough. I've got to accept. I've sinned. I need to be saved. There'll be Christians who live under law with a sense of condemnation, sense of missing the mark, and therefore they'll never do anything 
because they don't think God will ever use them. Hey, Christ ended that. See him. Are you bad enough to need a savior? If you are and you have acknowledged it, you have a savior and you're saved. The gift of righteousness. Believe it. Christ is the end of the law. So there is righteousness for everyone who believes.